if people are listening to this and if you're going through a lot of hard times maybe pat yourself on the back because maybe you've played this game of life so often you're testing yourself to a higher level almost like a playstation game to see if you can get through it still and come out and turn your messes into messages to raise consciousness of other people in some way Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. My guest today is a man about whom I have written a whole one and a half pages. So I'm going to try and introduce him without stuttering because uh, it's going to be, it's a lot. He is a very, very interesting person. Living in Dublin, beautiful Ireland, he was awarded for his inspirational work, giving back to the community where he did talks and mindset training and then gave all the money to charity. This is already my kind of person. He has been recognized publicly and nominated for the Global Man of the Year As you know, I'm the director of the Global Woman Club Cyprus and New York. So he is hopefully going to end up on the Global Woman magazine. And um, then he runs a radio show called Inspiration of People, Inspirational Stories on 103.2 Dublin City. And then he has just finished writing a book, which is going to be published soon. We're going to talk about that. He spent many years in the investment world as an investment head for some of the largest fund managers in the world. I want to talk about that too, because he probably traveled for that. But he's had stress and health issues, which led to a near-death experience and then made him change his career. And that's another thing that we want to talk about. I also see that he played hockey at National League top division level in the UK and Belgium, which means that he lived abroad. Long story short, Doc Gordon, welcome to Most Memorable Journeys. Elizabeth, thank you so much for having me. Let's get this show on the road. I always ask, mostly ask this first question because my podcast is called Most Memorable Journeys. When were you on a plane for the first time? Uh, plane for the first time probably will be going to England around about eight years of age, I would say. Okay. From Ireland, obviously. That's not a very long flight. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, I can't remember anything before that, actually, thinking about yeah. it. Do you remember it or, or do you just know it? Well, I very much remember it because yeah. I was devastated leaving uh, Ireland, going to England, because basically we were moving. I had a girlfriend, actually, at eight years of age, and my father came up to me and said, we're moving to England. I was devastated, not because I was leaving Ireland or my family. I was going to miss this young lady. But we ended up moving over to, to England, and uh, we lived initially in Chelsea and then down in Surrey afterwards for quite some time. Then we moved over to Belgium when I was 14 after that. And interestingly, when I moved into the school in Belgium, the girl that I loved when I was eight years of age was going into the same class at the same time with me as well. So there you go. In Belgium? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, that was that was a sign. What happened to her? Well, she was taller than me, Elizabeth, at that stage. <laughs> so, uh, I don't think she found me quite as attractive as she did when she was eight years of age. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were in, when you were going to school in Belgium, was that an international school or did you have to learn Flemish or French? It was, yeah, it was the British School of Brussels. So it was, it was a great school because there's a lot of diplomat sons and consulate sons and many people, actually. And my, my best friend, actually, his father was uh, third in line for the Belgium crown and a super guy called, well, my friend was called Stan Nev and he was called, his dad was called Patrick Nev and he was the first ever Williams car Formula One driver uh, from Belgium. So, yeah, it was cool. How amazing. Are you in touch with any of your friends from that school? Very much so, yeah. I was actually um, speaking 
to Stan not so so long ago. Um, he's now head of uh, Bank of America's uh, PR globally, actually. He's done very successfully for himself and a few others as well. More than though, I have to say, I've kept in touch with my university friends. Uh, university friends, we have a WhatsApp group and we speak regularly every week and we meet up on a quarterly basis over in London. Did, did you go to university in the UK? Yeah, I was in Loughborough University. So um, I studied school in Belgium and I played, as you mentioned earlier on, I was playing National League hockey in Belgium at the age of 17. So I was playing for, I don't know, the equivalent of playing for Chelsea or Manchester United, but in hockey over there. And I Ice was... Hockey or ho hockey? Land field. Field, field hockey. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And then I was offered a, uh, a place in Loughborough University, which is the number one sports university in Europe, if not the world, uh, generally to play hockey. I did engineering, which was a side thing, but generally I went there to play hockey. Um, so that was where I went. Yeah. Great. And well, it's as, as I said, I, I printed out or I wrote out so much that I am a little bit confused myself. So you're going to have to help me. I want to know about this time in the investment world. Yeah. So, so as I said to you, I did. I went to university really for a sport, but I did engineering at the time. So I did three years of manufacturing, engineering and management, and then was actually, I didn't know what to do with myself. So I stayed for another year and did a master's in computer integrated manufacturing. And then I went and looked at various different places and I ended up being offered a job at Fidelity Investments, which uh, they were looking for graduates on their telephone line. And you know, I'm very much people orientated. So I thought it'd be a nice thing to do. And I also worked out at the time that, I had a job, an interim job, kind of for my master's uh, thesis with Chamberlain Hill, which is an engineering firm. And I asked, how much did the chairman or the CEO earn of that firm? And it was like 150,000. And I asked someone I knew how much the chairman or the CEO of Fidelity Investments in the UK earned. And someone told me 4 million. So I thought I was obviously going to be, you know, at that time, when you're a bit younger, you tend to be very egotistical and interested in money. So that's why I went into that what that field instead of the engineering. That's interesting. This is the second time this week that I heard somebody wanted to get into the hospitality industry and then was offered double the salary from a bank. And then the whole life changed, you know, the whole course of life goes in a different direction. But, you know, I think at that age, we do want money. You have to have to earn the money. We need to experience this first, don't you think? We have to, money gives secure, it's a security thing. I, I agree. Uh, I think for me, you know, my, my dad was my superhero. So, you know, I, I followed in a lot of footsteps of what he did. I think that happens to us a lot as children. We kind of follow in our parents' footsteps, uh, sometimes doing what they want rather than what we actually truly want and what matches to our heart. And my father was in the investment world, the banking world. So I went into that. My father played hockey. I went into that. Um, I remember setting goals for myself when I was coming out of university. And one of those goals was to earn a six-figure salary within five years, which I did. Another one was to become a, a millionaire by the time I was 30, which I did. Another one was to have a holiday home and a house paid off with no mortgage by the time I was 35. And I did. Uh, another one was to have two kids. I only wanted two kids. I've got two brothers, but I only wanted two kids. And I wanted them exactly two and a half years apart so that the second one would come when the first one could speak and walk. And I had that to the day as well. So all of my dreams, wishes and goals came true. And going into the investment world, I have to say, I really enjoyed the people side of it because working initially as a customer services guy, then sales support, then sales and sales management, sales director, and then head of sales and marketing, one of the biggest fund managers in the world. And it helped me develop my people skills. 
And I love people. I love hanging around with people. And I used to be a big party animal until I became spiritual. And um, when I was doing that, you know, I, I, be, you know, dancing up and first on the dance floor, last off the dance floor, um, always trying to engage, you know, I'd be going away on holidays to different places with my wife and holidays like Mark Warner holidays. And by the end of the week, we'd have a table with ourselves and maybe you know, six or seven other couples who come to join us because we were very social people. So I, I'm just one of these people who loves people and loves socializing and love understanding what, you know, different perspectives are on the same thing in terms of this wonderful world that we live in. Yeah, I think I love people and I, I want, I, I'm interested. Uh, somebody once told me, you know, I, I was doing a, a tour in Australia and I had dinner with the local agent and he said to me, I have never met anybody who asked as many questions as you ask. I'm interested in people. I like to know about people. And I, I think it's fascinating how we all tick and everybody has a story. As we were talking before we started recording, we have a story. And uh, I think some of our stories are worth, or everybody's story is worth telling, but some people's, you know, your story could be somebody's survival guide. You can help somebody if you if you are vulnerable, if you become vulnerable, and you tell your story. A hundred percent, yeah, and that's that's why where, where I always say there's three different ways to find your true purpose in life, and I'm actually talking about this next week because I'm doing a TED talk. And the first way I always say to people is I speak on stage a lot, right, in front of like 5,000 people sometimes. So if I was to give you, you know, a stage in front of 10,000 people and you're 85 years of age, what would you love talking about the most? What would you be most passionate about? What could you add the most value to those people in the audience? And then once you know that, reverse engineer yourself back to where you are today and do whatever you need to do to feel worthy enough and have enough knowledge to be able to help and do those you know, that speech in front of those people. That's number one. The second one I always say is that you can find purpose in your job, even if you can't move out of your job, if you're in a, you've got a mortgage or whatever, is to have a look at the energetics of every single task you do and how it adds value to a granny or grandpa, mother, father, brother, sister, or son or daughter in some way or form. And when you can understand that you have meaning in what you do and it actually adds value to someone's life, it gives you a sense of vitality and purpose as well. And number three way of creating purpose in your life is to turn your messes into messages. I mean, we all go through hardships in life. I mean, I went through um, a marriage breakdown. I went through two operations that went wrong, three years of chronic pain where it felt like I was being punched in the stomach, waking up 10 times sometimes in the night, a near-death experience where I died. It was encapsulated an amazing feeling of love and engine connection, and many other things as well. And uh, I look at them at, at the time, it was a state of emotion and upset and turmoil. But now that I look back at them, they were the best things that happened to me because those lessons projected me up to a higher level. And now I think really, you know, my job is to utilize those messages to teach other people so they can go through the same things in an easier, kinder fashion in any way I can possibly help. So they're just three ways that I always try and help people in terms of finding your purpose in life. And one of them being exactly that, turning your messes into messages. That's beautiful. I think I didn't expect such a such a beautiful lesson in that podcast interview, but I'm taking it. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> the more, the better. That's, it, that's in my book as well, actually, Elizabeth. <laughs> well, uh, well, do you have a link to your book yet? Because uh, we're going to put we're, anyway. It's going to go on your on your website, and uh, we're going to put your website in the show notes so people can find it later on. Many many years ago, I did a workshop, and we had to write our own eulogy. Uh, you know, what would you like to hear at the end when you're in the box somewhere? Because this gives you more or less a direction in where you want, where you should go. Because, uh, you know, nobody's going to 
that there is this funny meme saying nobody is going to say at your funeral that you had a nice sofa. People are going to say, you know, that you were a good person. You want to hear that you were a good person, that you 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 helped people, that you had purpose and, and you brought other people purpose. Oh, 100%, Elizabeth. I mean, I, I look at it and I think of myself at, say, 98 years of age looking back at my life. And I'm not going to look back at how much money I've accumulated or how much wealth I have. I'm going to look back at how many hearts I've touched. Mm-hmm. And that comes down to the simplest things as a kiss you give, a hug you hold, and a kind word that you pass on. And I truly believe that if you can leave a legacy of love and kindness in this world, it means so much more than anything else. Absolutely. However, this uh, idea of money, I was, we were very poor as a child. Uh, we were, I, I grew up in a very, very poor in, environment and I absolutely hated this. And I always, I always knew that I never, ever want to be poor again. And it's not about having masses of money. You don't know, there is a certain amount of money that you need. Um, and after that, it's fine. After that, it's just luxury or whatever, you know, more expensive holidays or, or bigger cars. But I think there is nothing worse than not being able to pay your bills, than not being able to go to the supermarket, that you have to look at the prices in the supermarket. I think money does give you freedom. Oh, I, I totally agree. I, I came out of university with some some uh, hefty big debts, shall we say. And, you know, my motivation, obviously, when I first started working was to make money. And my motivation to get back, get promoted often was to make money as well. And actually, it was a shame because if I'd seen that sense of purpose and how the energetics of what I was doing in terms of the investment world actually added value to people's lives, I may have actually stayed there longer because, you know, truly as an investment manager, when I was working in that environment, uh, we were actually helping grannies or grandpas retire younger, give more to their children, their grandchildren, their favorite charity, or buy a better retirement home. And based on that premise, if I had that in my mindset, I may have stayed there because I knew I was bettering lives, but I couldn't see that. I could only see the money at the time. And it took a near-death experience, really, to swing me and uh, pivot me into a different field, which I never love. I absolutely love what I do there. Mm, yeah, I think looking back, you always know better, and that's uh, that's pro- that's probably the story of everybody's lives. And and you know, or or even even looking back shortly, and you think, oh, I should have said that, or I should have done this. But uh, it's live and learn. This it's life. Life is a learning process, and uh, you know that's that's just how we grow. Now, I want to go a little bit into that um, near death experience. What happened? Yeah, so what happened in 2008, obviously, uh, I was working in the stock market and I was running a team over in the UK for uh, one of the biggest fund managers in the world. And we ended up losing uh, something like three and a half billion in assets, in terms of hedge fund assets. And that was the most profitable side of the business. And that led to then the overall business having to let go of quite a lot of people. And although I was fine, I'm still very empathetic towards other people. And I could feel, you know, the sadness and the stress within there. And I got stressed. And uh, I had like literally ailment after ailment. They were all stress-related, seeing doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist. And ended up then having uh, two operations by the end of 2009 on my digestive tract, which unfortunately didn't go very well. And then after that, I literally was waking up, as I was saying to you, with pain in the abdomen, uh, like I was being punched in the stomach. And it really, it played havoc with me. It was like I was, you know, because so tired from waking up so often, it affected me, it affected my marriage, my relationship, and everything like that. It was really tough. And then by the end then of 2012, you know, I just kind of kind of had enough of it, you know. And then I, uh, I ended up contracting the norovirus, which is like a stomach bomb. And after 10 days of serious dehydration where my electrolytes were down to pretty much zero, 
I was rushed to hospital with, uh, uh, you know, heart problems. And uh, the ECG said heart, blood pressure doubled. And uh, when I arrived into uh, A&E, they rushed me down to the x-ray thinking there was a block in the stomach. And when I was rushed down, it was suddenly I was encapsulated in this amazing feeling of love, energy and connection. And uh, there was no mammon of beer, but there was a living, loving presence there that I felt uh, encapsulating me, within me, connected to me, and I felt like I was connected to everything. And it was amazing. And um, I obviously came back because I wouldn't be speaking to you now. And, uh, and I, at that point, I was completely blown away by the whole thing. And I actually, I came out of hospital after and had the near-death experience pretty rapidly. It wasn't that long, maybe four or five hours or something like that, and, um, and, and recovered very quickly. And at that point, though, I'd had this spiritual experience and I felt I wanted to give back in some way or form. So at the time, uh, my, my, my now ex-wife had, uh, she'd been going to church to this course called the Alpha Course. And, you know, Bear Grylls had done it as well. I thought, well, if it's good enough for Bear Grylls, it's probably good enough for me. So I went and did this course. And when I arrived in there, they're obviously talking, it was a Christian course. They're obviously talking all about Jesus and everything like that. And I, I'm a big fan of Jesus, but... I wasn't sure if it was me because when I was encapsulated in that amazing feeling of love, energy and connection, I truly felt that, that love energy would never alienate or discriminate against anybody in this world. And I truly believe that religions are all beautiful in their own right, but they're all just like paths to the sea, the sea being God, Allah, universal energy, your own subconscious, whatever you believe in really. And I thought maybe I should try and discover a few others. And I went away and I asked for a sign from the universe. I said, just give me a sign. I don't know what to do. And literally two days later, I was helping a friend of mine with cancer because um, I'd done so much research into the digestive system and the body and alternatives because of my own issues that I was able to help him as well. And also, I've always been into the mindset stuff in terms of Tony Robbins and people like that. So I was helping him and I just said to him, I said, look, you know, we always talk about body, mind and soul. We've talked a lot about body stuff. We've talked a lot about mindset stuff. We haven't really talked about anything soul-like. Maybe you should go and do this course. I was going to do it. Maybe you might enjoy it. And I think that was the first time I ever showed faith towards anything. And at that point, I went home. And as, as you said earlier, and I used to play National League hockey. So I was going out running with my dog and my dog tripped me up. And she'd never done that before. And I went flying over the dog, blood all over the place, cut my hands and my knees to shreds. And literally, no joke, on my hands, I've still got photos actually, on my hands, I had two infinity signs, either side of the letters of the cross, I-N-R-I. And it was big I, big N, small R, small I. And for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what that means, it was in Latin, it was Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. So it's like saying, Jesus of Nazareth here, not really King of the Jews, but get back and do that course. So I went back and did the course. It was a 10-week course. And on the 10th week, they do a, like an away day in a church all day. And they actually had this certain situation where they pray for you. So there might be a group of 20 and you each pray for the person individually at one go. And it was my go to be prayed for. And I was sitting there in a receptive, meditative manner, not expecting anything to happen. And suddenly I just felt this amazing feeling of love completely surrounding me and within me at the time. And then I felt this bright light on my eyes. And I thought maybe the sun was shining through the church window or something like that. I opened my eyes up and there's nothing. I closed them again and there was the bright light. So I felt amazing and they all could see, you know, they'd, they'd seen the eye and eye and the hand and all that kind of stuff already, but they could see that something weird had happened. They're like, are you all right? I said, I don't know, I feel amazing. This is amazing. Then I was playing hockey that day afterwards. And normally I'm, in the old days, I was a center forward for quite an aggressive uh, center forward. And I had no aggression in me whatsoever. 
And all the guys in the team were going, Doug, what is wrong with you? And it was because I just had this angel-like feeling inside of me that was just beautiful. And it went from there. So then after that, I initially, you know, I did do, you know, follow the religion, religious side for quite some time. And I'm still very, you know, into lots of different religions, but I still felt I had to learn a little bit more about other religions. So I studied everything from Buddhism, Jainism, Islam, and everything like that, and realized they are all beautiful and they are all just rivers to the sea as such. Uh, and then I got into spirituality because I wanted to heal myself. I wanted to get back into perfect health. So I ended up becoming a master teacher of five modalities of healing, met some very spiritual, amazing people, including the Dalai Lama. And since then, it's just blown. Went from, went from healing to life coaching because the mind-body mind connection. And then people asked me on stage because of my business background. And then I got into business coaching as well. And then on stage speaking all over the world with some of the most amazing speakers like you know, John Martini and Lisa Nichols, uh, having shared the stage with them as well. Oh, my God. That was a lot. I made a few notes, but I have a lot of questions now. That's amazing. Did you feel when you were in this moment, in this near-death experience, were you happy to be back? Or did you did you think for a moment that you should stay there? Well, it felt amazing. It, it really did. But I, felt, I had this inner knowing, and it was a message, really. This inner knowing was I wasn't following the right track. I needed to change my life. And I needed to do it now. Mm. And, and that was the inner knowing. As I said, there was no voice outside of you. It's almost like a voice inside of you because you've connected. And, and that was really what it was. So I knew I wasn't finished here. And uh, I knew I was coming back. But the feeling was incredible. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And, and would I have stayed in it? 100%. What do I know now? Because I get a lot of insights in terms of channeling and meditation and stuff like that. And I truly believe that we come down to this planet to learn, to grow, to evolve, to become better versions of ourselves. And I truly believe that, you know, the game of life is about testing yourself and seeing if you can go through those tests and still come out as the best version of yourself. And you know what? If people are listening to this and if you're going through a lot of hard times, maybe pat yourself on the back. Because maybe you've played this game of life so often, you're testing yourself to a higher level, almost like a PlayStation game, to see if you can get through it still and come out and turn your messes into messages to raise consciousness of other people in some way or form. Wow, that's very, very beautiful. And I absolutely agree. And we are all, we are energy. I mean, that we are, and what we, we, uh, what we give out, we attract. And I think that's also something that we all have to learn and correct ourselves over and over again, because nobody's perfect and we all tend to have a bad day and ask why is this happening to me and and I think it's okay to ask this question once in a while and to, but then you have to accept it and 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 you know find a way to correct it I think it's um it, being in victimhood is not a good place to be 100% and I've done a lot of work with suicide people and one of the things that I say and, and I truly believe this whether it's true or not I don't know this is just my belief my knowing is that I believe that we set ourselves up in this lifetime to test us in different ways. And we come down as different people to test us in different ways. And I truly believe that if one was to commit suicide, you'd only have to come back down and do the whole thing again. Mm -hmm. Because it's your test that you put yourself through to see if you could really, really push yourself to that ultimate level and still come through as your best self. So anybody who's listened to this, who's going through a hard time, I really do emphasize, and I have a lot of compassion, and I've been through a lot of crap myself, but just ask yourself in every lesson in life, how can I learn from this? 
How can I grow from this? And what can I utilize at this to inspire and help other people in some way or form? Mm-hmm. And becoming vulnerable and sharing and asking for help is a sign of strength and not a sign of weakness, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. You said before that you were studying or learning about other religions. And um, I always believe that um, one of the biggest problems in this life is misunderstood or in this world, not in this life, is misunderstood religion because mostly it's fear. It's fear of the unknown. And don't you think that if we learned more about other religions, we would get on better? We would be able to understand each other better and that it's worth to pick up a book and, and to learn about everything, about, about Islam, about Buddhism, about uh, Hinduism. I think we should all look into this more. Oh, 100%, Elizabeth. I mean, we're all a product of our parents, our preachers, our teachers, and our past relationships and experiences. And that means that we all come from different perspectives and angles on life. And that means, like, for example, you could see a color as yellow. I can see it as orange. It doesn't necessarily mean that either of us are right or either of us are wrong. It's just different perspectives on the same thing. The problem is in this world, everybody has an opinion. And opinions, unfortunately, can be a bit like bottoms. We all have one. We don't necessarily want to hear it, though. And I think it's very important to realize that and then really, truly ask the right questions to understand the other person's perspective rather than pushing your own opinions on other people. Because if we did that and we could understand that and respect that, the world would be such a different place in terms of international, religious, business and love relationships, because we'd all be asking questions to seeking to understand the other person's perspective rather than saying that we're right and they're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, and using it also in, in, you know, creating wars and creating you, it's very often used as an excuse. And uh, there is so, so much that we can do ourselves. And this is another thing that we need to know. Nobody's ever going to do it for us. We have to do it ourselves. Nobody, you you cannot change anybody, but you. That's such a good point as well. And I, I did a post on this because Uh, There's a lot of people pointing fingers at people, politicians, heads of states around the world about this and that. I'm not going to go into any of that because I'm not into politics. But what I will say is exactly what you said. The only person you can really be responsible for is your own self. Now, when we're kids, we sometimes cheat in cards or chess or certain games and everything like that. We sometimes maybe take, you know, one of a chocolate bar from a friend or something like that. Or we might tell a little white lie to get away with something. The problem is... If we take that into our adulthood and we do that kind of stuff, even if it's just a white lie, even if it's just taking a little sweet off someone, or even it's just doing something very small in terms of the cheat in some way or form, the problem is the ripple effect of that, of how we act in terms of our character, will feed into our friends and our family and their friends and their family and so on. And there'll be a ripple effect of that thinking, ah, I can just do this and ah, I can just do that. And then that blows through the ripple effect of the energy that we have and the connective energy that we have right across the world. And next minute, hey presto, we have wars and we have lots of other terrible things happening all over the place. So I say to people is try and be as conscious as possible about everything you do to make sure that you're authentic, you're honest, you're kind and you're loving as I was saying earlier on. Mm, Because when you're honest, you never need to think about what you're saying because if you're always telling the truth, because when you start lying, it can become very complicated because sooner or later, people will catch you somewhere. You know, at the end of the day, the truth always comes out, doesn't it? Let's get a little, I wanted to also talk about your radio show. What is your radio show about? it's, um, It's called Inspirational People, Inspirational Stories. 
Yes. So um, it was a funny one. And, and you know, this is the power of energy again. I go back to 2017 and I kind of knew I was going to be leaving the investment world by the end of the year. And I started doing a few radio shows. And what it was actually, I, I'm very much into affirmations and positive thinking. And I had a few uh, positive affirmations written up on a whiteboard. And one of them is that I'm very grateful that I'm on radio so I can tell my story about my near-death experience. And I ended up walking into a conference, met a radio presenter, told him my story, he got me on. And then seven radio shows later, I was, you know, on lots of different ones. And I suddenly thought to myself, well, someone actually said to me, I've got a good voice for radio. So uh, I started changing my affirmations. I said, I'm grateful that I have my own radio show so that I can inspire as many people as possible around the world. So I ended up getting it. And I also had another affirmation at the time, actually, as well, that I'm grateful that I'm an inspirational speaker speaking to millions of people around the world, touching millions of hearts and inspiring them to better lives in some way or form and being paid for it, obviously. Anyway, so um, I, I had those two affirmations. And a less than a month later, Dublin City FM, which is one of the main channels over here in Dublin, uh, offered me, I'd been on their show, what, uh, two of their shows twice, they offered me a show. And the guy said to me, look, I know you've got good connections, I can see that and everything like that. What would you like to call your show? And I didn't know what to call it. So having been in the investment world, I thought maybe, oh, and then being a spiritual guy, I thought maybe, maybe the mindful millionaire. And he said to me, he said, nah, that sounds a bit pretentious. How about calling it inspirational people, inspirational stories? And I thought, you know what? That is brilliant. Because if I ring you up or I ring anybody up and say, look, I've got a radio show called Inspirational People, Inspirational Stories. I think you're a true inspiration. I'd love to have you in the show. It's much more interesting and much more you know, uh, interesting for them to come on than me saying, oh, come on my show, The Mindful Millionaire. So it was fantastic. And because of that, my first ever uh, radio show guest was one of my actual heroes because I used to be a, a Wimbledon football club fan over in the UK. Uh, anyone in the States listening, that's football as in soccer. And they used to be in the Premier League at the time. And their best ever striker was a guy called Dean Holdsworth. And he played for England as well. He was my first ever guest. And I randomly contacted him on LinkedIn, uh, told him, again, inspirational people, inspirational stories. He was starting up a charity, wanted to help in, in promoting it. And I got him. From then on in, I've had 25 New York Times bestsellers. I've had some incredible people who've cured themselves naturally of cancer. I've had some of the most amazing uh, chairmans and CEOs of you know, some of the biggest businesses in the world. Uh, and I've had sports stars who are international sports stars, some of the best in the world as well. And it's been an amazing opportunity uh, to meet people, uh, become friends with people, and then network and even get on stage with people as well. You know, this is the beauty about this. That that's why I love this podcast because, as you say, you have these you have this opportunity to talk to these people. And you know, sometimes you start talking to somebody. Some people that I speak to, I know, like you, I have never met before. This is the first time that we are talking, and there is so much knowledge and wisdom and 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 wonderful stuff coming out of this. I, I that's that's why I, I I understand that you are enjoying this very much because and, and you are helping people, you are doing good for people because you are supporting people. And I wouldn't if you had asked me to be on a show called what did you say inspirational millionaires, I wouldn't have been interested because as you, millionaires is, you know, I'm Swiss. We have money. We don't talk about money. So so it is pretentious. I totally agree. And uh, inspirational people, inspirational stories sounds wonderful. 
Now, since this podcast is called Most Memorable Journeys and you, your, your uh, radio show is in Dublin, let's talk a little bit about Ireland because I love Ireland. My best friend here in Cyprus is Irish and uh, I've been to Ireland a few times. What is your favorite place in Ireland? Well, I have a few, but uh, I'll give you three that are very close to my heart. So the first of them is I, I live in Dublin and there's a place called Hoth. And in Hoth, there is a cliffside, which is absolutely beautiful. And in particular, if anybody's listening, uh, quite often people go to Dublin and they take the train up to Hoth and they walk the nearest end of the cliffside to what is the lighthouse. Now, actually, if you walk the other end towards the other end of the cliff, which is a whole round, almost uh, you know, a three-quarter circle, you find it's much more beautiful. You can get the whole view of Dublin Bay. So I walk there probably, I would say, three times a week, every week. And I absolutely love the place. I run there, I walk there, I meditate there, and it's beautiful. So that would be my number one tip for people. Number two is only an hour south of Dublin. Uh, there's a beautiful place called Glendalock. And uh, that's G-L-E-N-D-A-L-O-U-G-H. And Glendalock is in Wicklow, and it's one of the most beautiful lakes you could possibly imagine. And there's a horseshoe mountain all the way around the lake. So you can actually go up the mountain and go all the way around the lake while looking down at this beautiful scenery. And it's absolutely gorgeous. And the energies there, I know you're a spiritual person as well, so the energies there are absolutely gorgeous. And I've actually known people who have gone there and walked in their bare feet and cured themselves of some kind of ailment or something like that. So really, really beautiful place there. That's my second tip. And my third tip, one of my favorites, which I was only talking about today to somebody else, is Killarney. And Killarney is in the west coast of Ireland. And there's the Killarney Lakes. And they are absolutely beautiful. And I highly re recommend uh, Mus Musgrove Lake, which is absolutely beautiful as well. And um, I've been there so many times, whether walking around it, Uh, cycling around it or rowing through it, I can't recommend it enough. It's an absolutely beautiful place as well. That's amazing. That is like, I didn't expect such a great list of, of, uh, of tips. What is your favorite place in the world? My favorite place in the world? That's a very good question. I think Killarney would be one of them. Um, Killarney is just absolutely gorgeous, as I said, in the West Coast of Ireland. And I actually went there last year. It was my birthday. I went there and the sun was shining, absolutely gorgeous. And there was still the COVID issues around, uh, but we had a wonderful holiday. I think sometimes if, if Ireland gets the weather, it can be one of the most beautiful places in the world because of the greenery and everything like that. But in terms of Europe, I mean, I love skiing. So I've been to the Swiss Alps. Um, I've been to the French Alps. I've been to uh, the Austrian Alps. And there's sometimes nothing better than being on top of a mountain, feeling the wind breeze okay. through your face as you just smell the clean air. It's gorgeous. And glittering snow, the sun in the snow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's gorgeous. So that would be, I mean, that would be another one. Um, I've also been to Kenya and I have to say, I went to Mombasa and then I went to Malindi and I went snorkeling in the most beautiful areas and safariing the most beautiful areas as well. The people there were lovely. And the other place that I really enjoyed, I have to say, I went over to India And I spent some time in India. I went to Kerala first. I went, did an Ayurveda week or it was 10 days there. And then I went up to Dharamshala and stayed in a hotel called the Divine Hima. And anybody who's going to Dharamshala, I thoroughly recommend it. The guy who owns it is just a super guy. It's a small luxury boutique hotel. 
And I actually met some amazing people along the way. And I thought the guru that I was going to meet there was going to be the Dalai Lama. But actually, when you take time and interest in other people, even the taxi drivers can have some fascinating stories that you can learn from because they've had so many different people in their cab. So I always say is like, take interest in every single person that you meet in this world. I truly believe that they come into your path. They come into your path for a reason and they have a story or some lesson that they can teach you in some way or form. That is so very true. And it's also true that when you talk all the time, you only hear things that you already know. But when you listen, you actually learn something new that you haven't heard before. And um, I was just, I just wanted to say I love skiing. And of course, I love skiing in Switzerland because that's where I'm from. But um, I did something for the first time here in Cyprus. Cyprus and Lebanon are known for the fact that you can actually ski and swim in the Mediterranean Sea the same day. And I, you know, it's it's one thing to talk about it, but I actually did it this winter because the sea in the winter is quite cool. But I went swimming in the morning and I went skiing on Mount Rodos, which isn't, I mean, you know, you and I who are used to skiing, ski resorts in Austria or in Switzerland, you're up in two minutes and down in one, but it's skiing. There is snow and there are, there are ski lifts and you get the feeling of, of sun and glittery, diamonds in the, in the snow. And that's all I need once in a while when I'm here in Cyprus. So that's beautiful too. I love that. I, I've never been to Cyprus. I'm going to have to go now for that very reason. The, the only ever time that I've ever had snow and sun in the same day was when I was up in, I was in California. I actually did 3,200 miles around California, Nevada uh, and a few other places. I went up to uh, Mount Shasta, which if anybody in the spiritual world, they'll know that Mount Shasta is renowned as the root chakra of the world. I actually went there and I have to say, um, it was 120 degrees down in Reading, about an hour and a half south where we were staying just for a little while. And we drove up to Mount Shasta and there was snow on the top of Mount Shasta. And we walked all the way up to the snow line. And my kids at the time had great fun playing in the snow considering they were in their shorts and t-shirts and everything like that. So it was phenomenal. I know you're spiritual as well. So if anybody ever goes over there, I highly recommend Mount Shasta. The energies there were just incredible. Uh, so much so that they actually, uh, they affected me in a certain way that I ended up having to get off the mountain pretty rapidly. Um, but it was, you know, it was very, very enlightening. And the people in Shasta town as well, uh, have to say, amazing, absolutely amazing people. That's wonderful. I didn't know, I I, I heard about uh, that, that you can do that in California as well, but I didn't know about that. Um, Mount Shasta, is it called? How do you write that? Shasta is spelled S-H-A-S-T-A. Okay, good to know. Very good to know. I didn't actually pay attention when we started, but I have the feeling that we are coming close. I mean, this has been just such an amazing talk. And it's interesting how people sometimes get together because you reacted to one of my messages in a, in a, a Instagram uh, uh, DM. And I am so, so grateful that you did. And we are actually going to meet. I think by the time this episode gets uploaded, we will have already met because we are going to meet at the Global Woman Summit in London. And I'm really, really looking forward to that. And um, you are always welcome here in Cyprus. Cyprus is a beautiful place to visit. We have mountains, sea, it's beautiful, good food. We are nice. So um, very, very welcome I'm, here anytime. Any last words, Doug? Well, the only last words I'd say, uh, Elizabeth, is that we're both communicators. And I have to say, you're a fantastic communicator in terms of the way you reached out and also in this podcast as well. So I want to thank you very much for that. And um, my last piece of advice to people is that to remember that the sentences we say 
are sometimes the sentences we condemn ourselves and others to. And what I mean by that is you mentioned yourself that we're all energy. Well, everything in life is energy. Thoughts is energy. Speech is energy. Thoughts lead to speech. Speech leads to actions. Actions lead to habits. And habits leads to destiny. So start with a positive thought and end with a positive destiny. And what I'll end with is a story where when I was 16 years of age, my mother always used to say to me, make sure you put your jumper on, Douglas. Otherwise, you might catch pneumonia. And not very long after saying a lot of that, I ended up catching pneumonia. My father said to me one time that I was a pain in the back. I ended up cracking my vertebrae when playing rugby at age 18. Somebody else said pain in the neck. I ended up cracking my neck when I was playing hockey later. And somebody else said to me I was a pain in the arse at one stage and I had an operation there. So what I would say is be very careful of the words that come out of your mouth because words can create. So make sure you create what you want rather than what you don't want. And after my near-death experience, when people realized that I was a, had a gift of healing, and I've had some very miraculous miracle healings happen uh, over the time, which I'm very grateful for, those healings, um, or uh, the people that found out about this, they came to me and said, you know, things like, Doug, will you pray for me that it doesn't rain on my wedding day? And I would say no, because you put rain and wedding day in that sentence, the energetics between the two could actually create that. And actually, when I was having some, when I got into my healing, I had a lot of people come to me and they might have had Alzheimer's or dementia or something like that. And when I asked them, did they ever used to say things and voice things like they couldn't remember? Or did their spouses ever used to voice that they were out of their mind, going mad, the lights were on or no one was in or something like that? The answer was always yes. So that's what I say. The sentences we say can sometimes be the sentence we condemn ourselves and others too. So make sure that you're saying positive affirmations every single day. Absolutely amazing. Perfect ending to a perfect podcast interview. Thank you so much, Doug Borden. Thank you for being my guest. My pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.